is my body my friend or is my body my foe? It's a question we must ask and answer, and we can with Scripture. The question comes in from an anonymous woman. Hello, Pastor John. I'm a Christian female in my 20s. Ever since puberty, I have hated my body. I constantly feel uncomfortable in my own skin and obsess about what other people might be thinking about it. In the last eight years of my life, I'm not sure I've gone a full minute without having intrusive, destructive, and negative thoughts about my physical appearance. Sometimes I wonder if I have a mental illness, and I know the value of having this checked out by a doctor, and I have, but I would love biblical help from you. Scripture says, I was fearfully and wonderfully made, and that God doesn't look at the outward appearance, but looks at my heart. I believe these things are true, but what about my view of myself? What would you say to me? I hope we all understand and agree that I know very very little about this situation and cannot presume to speak into it with the kind of wisdom that would come from knowing not only Scripture, but also the person in the situation. So let's all agree that what I say is not a simplistic remedy for what sounds like a deep and lasting problem, but rather a biblical perspective that might, along with other factors, be used by God to bring freedom. That would be my prayer. I want to respond to three statements that you made and just give a biblical angle on those three statements that you made that may help or maybe you haven't thought about. Number one, you said, ever since puberty, I have hated my body. And I wonder if it might be worth considering that there is, a, there is a good hatred of the body and a bad hatred of the body. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 26, I, I pommel my body, literally, I give my body a black eye and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. You don't beat up on your friend. You beat up on your enemies. Now, of course, the body, in one sense, is a friend. There's no life on earth without it. It does make some pleasures possible. It will be raised on the last day and made beautiful and glorious for every single child of God. But there's another sense in which the body is not a friend. It has become the base of operations for much enemy activity, and it has become complicit in that attack of the evil one on us. Paul knows it, and he hates that aspect of the body, and he will not let the body rule him or destroy him. He says in Romans 7, 24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he means the the body that he is in as Paul, and which tempts him to do things that will lead to death. So Paul has an ambivalent view of the body. He doesn't want to throw it away in suicide or mutilate it in some unhealthy way, but he, he prefers resurrection. He, he, he doesn't want it to vanish. He knows God gave us a body for a reason, and yet while he's here on the earth, 
The enemy has made his body complicit in his destruction, and he hates it in the sense that he opposes it and will not let the body destroy him. So my question is, have you ever asked, maybe instead of saying, I should stop hating my body, I should stop hating my body, maybe you should say, I should start hating my body in the right way. I should start hating my body because it tempts me to sin. Now, not because it's any particular shape or or disfiguration or has a certain complexion or whatever. It's but rather is the body what is making me sin against God, and in that sense, shift all of your hatred which will be a very significant liberation. Do you cherish your body as the vehicle of God-given earthly life that will one day be made a glorious body in the resurrection when you will shine like the sun? Maybe it will help if you, instead of trying to completely rid yourself of body hate, shift the battle onto hating the way you should, rather than not hating at all. That's my first response to the first statement. Here's the second statement that you made. You said, I believe these things are true, namely that God has made you fearfully and wonderfully and looks upon the heart. I believe these things are true, but what about my view and myself? What would you say to me, you said? question I want to ask is, what do you mean by I believe these things, these things that God has said about you. You say that God has a perspective on you as fearful and wonderfully made. You say that God looks upon your heart. And then you say that you have a perspective, and it is different from God's. And you believe God's. And then you ask me, what about my perspective? And my response is, what do you mean you believe God's perspective. Have you ever thought that believing God in the New Testament, believing in the New Testament, is more than intellectual assent to the truth of something? Believing in the New Testament means receiving, embracing, loving. For example, in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Believing Christ is receiving Christ, welcoming Christ, embracing Christ as true and beautiful and satisfying. Or 2 Thessalonians 2.10, where Paul refers to unbelievers as those who, quote, refused to love the truth and so be saved, which means that believing the truth includes loving the truth. The devils believe and tremble. If you believe what God says, you love the fact that he said it. You embrace it. It becomes part of what satisfies your soul. God's perspective is precious. If it's believed, it's precious. We embrace it. We kiss it. Jesus said, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Believing Jesus means believing that who he is and what he says are thirst-quenching, soul-satisfying. So I ask you, what do you mean when you say, I believe 
God's perspective about me is true. Do you? Lastly, number three, you say, I constantly feel uncomfortable. In fact, you said there's not been a minute for eight years. I constantly feel uncomfortable in my own skin and obsess about whether, about what other people might be thinking about it. Let's think about obsessing. Sometimes when we are obsessing about something, we make the mistake of thinking we can stop obsessing about it by focusing directly on the problem of obsession. But that never works, does it? Because in the very focusing on the problem of obsession, we continue to obsess. The absolutely crucial need is to set our minds on things different and greater than ourselves. When Paul said, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, that includes your body. Set your mind on things that are above, not on your body. Have you perhaps considered that the room you live in is too small. I mean the world you have made for yourself, the world of obsessing. And the walls in this little room, this world that you live in, are all made out of mirrors. So you live in a little room, the world you've made, and all the walls in the little world, this room, are mirrors. The battle with obsession will not be won by desperately trying not to see yourself in this room or trying to like what you see in this room. The problem is that the room is too small. What needs to happen is that the whole room needs to be blown up. Not that you be blown up, but the littleness, the confined cramped smallness of the world you live in needs to be blown up. All the walls need to be blown out by the majesty and greatness and unimaginable expansiveness of God. Many of the problems that we try to deal with are absolutely unsolvable because the solution lies not in adjusting things in the little room where we live, but in blowing out all the walls of the room where we live so that we suddenly find ourselves staggered by the grandeur of God and his creation. And this staggering experience turns out to be an expansive universe and world where we can live not just for a minute, but a week or a month or a year, and suddenly realize we haven't thought about ourselves at all, good or bad. That's freedom. That's glorious freedom. Freedom is not finally liking the body that you see in the mirror of the little room of your world. Freedom is having the walls blown away. And being so staggered by the world and its grandeur and the greatness of the God who made it, that the last thing you would worry about or think about is yourself. You would be drawn outside yourself 
in a stunning, glorious, freeing way. Amen. So important to be drawn outside of ourselves. Pastor John, thank you. And uh, this idea of self-hatred and body image is an important one that the church, I think, has really only begun to wrestle with, it seems to me. And there's so much more to think about and to apply here in our lives. And if you want more on this theme, I recorded a 50-minute conversation with Bible counselor David Powlison, which is titled Gospel Hope for Self-Haters, which can be found at DesiringGod.org. I found that conversation really helpful. Thank you for making this podcast, the Ask Pastor John podcast, a part of your day. You can stay current with our new episodes on your phone by subscribing through your preferred podcast app or through the APJ app, and even now through DG's YouTube channel. Uh, Of course, to search our past episodes or to browse our most popular episodes or to send us a question of your own, go to our online home at desiringgod.org forward slash Ask Pastor John. Well, how does God's sovereignty over everyone not make each of us robots? Where is the place for human will and how does God govern over everything, even human decision making? It's a great question and it comes from a listener in Nebraska, my home state. I'm your host, Tony Reiki. We'll see you on Wednesday for that.